you're listening to Tatiana is Everyone, an Orphan Black podcast. I'm your host, Chris. And I'm Stephanie. And this week is a, another spoiler-free podcast. We are talking about the third episode of the second season of Orphan Black called Mingling Its Own Nature With It, which is a creepy, creepy title. It is, especially given the subjects of this episode. Yeah. Like, we actually, we looked up where this came from. This is another Francis Bacon quote. Like, they've been using this season to to title the episodes. It's also from the new Organon. And here's the full sentence it comes from, which because we thought this was interesting. And the human understanding is like a false mirror, which receiving rays irregularly distorts and discolors the nature of things by mingling its own nature with it. So now it's less gross, yes. at least. <laughs> because we heard this, and in the context of the episode, we were kind of like, ew. But it's a little less gross and a little more, hmm... <laughs> intriguing and definitely intriguing and we were because when i first heard, when i heard the episode title it re- really made me think of that disturbing final shot with Hel- well not the final shot of the episode but helena's final shot where henrik is carrying her down the hallway to a room of some kind i am so upset and yeah i'm upset yes <laughs> that whole yes i'm so upset about the helena storyline and I, I'm very worried. I'm. I think I'm. I was worried about everybody last week. I'm more worried now. Show you are making me stressed out. Damn it, Joe. I love you, Show. But damn it, Show. <laughs> That's why we're so upset. Is because we love it so much. Yes. And uh, yeah, I may or may not have let out a little bit of a quiet scream at the end of the episode. Uh, Stephanie can confirm. She did. She did. So let's talk a little bit about Helena's storyline this week disturbing disturbing storyline where we're we're seeing a bit more of the the farming prolethians and that was a hand fasting right he essentially married her yeah i'm pissed off a a semi-conscious woman this was okay no it's not no it's not it's really not damn it joe <laughs> it's going to be 45 minutes of me going, damn it, Joe. It won't, I promise. And <laughs> when the scene started, where we, where it starts with Helena in the bed and we see her wearing the dress, I think I said, oh God, when the scene started, because it just, I knew nothing good could come of this. And did. nothing did. Right. Nothing did. Yeah, I, I mean, if anybody was looking at any of the promo stuff before this episode, you know, anything in the past week, we knew this was coming, and really, they hinted at it last week, but I'm so upset I can't find proper words, so I'm just going to hand gesture a little bit at Stephanie as she laughs at me. I'm not laughing at you, but it, it you know, and it was such a dis- an upsetting end to when we finally got a decent scene with Helena. That was really the first decent scene we got with her this season, was the one with her and Gracie, where she's eating the food. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hey, Helena's forming full sentences. She's eating. I love it when Helena eats. I think we all love it when Helena eats. And I, I loved her reaction to when Gracie told her that Tomas had left, where she spits out her food. And, like, you can see there's grapes hanging out of her mouth after she does it. Yeah, it falls out of her mouth and she catches it. Yeah, yeah. Which was kind of great. And and then, you know, just biting into the chicken leg. Which she first offers to Gracie, which I thought was an interesting moment. Yes, it, she's trying to be polite, but 
But it's like but Helena it, polite. Yeah, but it's Helena, so she doesn't quite know how to do it. But I think Gracie is less well-mannered than Helena. Fair enough, yeah. Yeah. Again, we're still not liking Gracie all that much. But at the, <laughs> Can you tell? At the same time, though, Gracie was against the whole, you know, against her will marriage and breeding thing, so maybe points to Gracie for that. But Gracie was against it because she doesn't feel like Helena's a real human being. I'm trying to, like, give her the benefit of the doubt here. <laughs> I'm not willing to do that. Okay, fine. Okay, fine. But I will props to Gracie for being opposed to that whole thing, regardless of her grounds, because ew. Yes. I mean, it's completely objectionable. I am mad about it. In case you hadn't noticed, and in case you had missed me saying that ten times already, I'm mad and loud about it. Yes. We're very upset about it. And as Chris kept saying throughout the episode, like, when is Helena going to destroy them already? I am, as I mentioned last week, I am waiting and hoping for Helena to just, like, snap into crazy Helena mode and destroy them all. Here's hoping she gets a hold of something sharp, because clearly she's kind of weak right now. Yes. Sharp or at least pointy. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take much. No. Some rebar? Give her some rebar. Hey, that would be nice. So Sarah this week, she gets some more, there's a little, like, action scenes for Sarah's in the storyline, but it's a lot more character developy. I thought, mm-hmm. this particular episode for Sarah. And, you know, we see her in that, at the beginning, she and Felix and Kira are, you know, on the run, camping, quote unquote, sleeping in a truck overnight. Poor Felix. And <laughs> Felix is not cut out for that. No, he, he really is not, especially with what he chose to wear to run away. Well, I, I think I mentioned to you earlier, there was an internet thing on, on Tumblr with a screen cap of them in the truck. And it said, you know, we said run away, Felix, not runway. And I, I, yeah, maybe he did miss here because he was not dressed appropriately. And we see her having to sort of resort to kind of her grifter lifestyle because she's trying to protect Kira. And I liked how that played out. I, I liked seeing them, like, fleece the guy. I thought that was kind of interesting and really smart mm-hmm. to, to hide actual shoplifting with fake shoplifting. Yes. I thought that was interesting, too. And that they brought Kira into it at all. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of surprised they did that. I feel like Sarah maybe would have wanted to leave her out of that. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, they did follow up that scene with Sarah telling Kira, like, we don't do that unless we really have to. Which I, I thought was also in sort of an interesting moment just in that, you know, most parents would probably just say, we don't do that. Mm-hmm. But I but- think Sarah is really, let's be honest, Sarah is more... I'm I'm finger quoting this. Sarah's more realistic about it. Right. And and she knows that especially right now they're in kind of a ridiculous situation that mm-hmm. most people don't get into. So, it's not they're not stealing because they're trying to basically rob people just to, for the sake of robbing people. It's it's a survival thing that they're doing right now. So, I think she sees it more in that vein. But at the same time it really does seem to make her reconsider things with Kira, because I think that's maybe a big reason why she decides to go to Cal's place. Right. Well, that is that is what she says to Felix, is mm-hmm. that, you know, Kira needs some... some nourishment. nourishment. Yeah, that's what it was. So it is kind of interesting that they actually end up in Cal's part of town, too. I thought was sort of interesting. Were, were they headed there 
subconsciously, do you think? Or I do wonder that. I do wonder that. If she had in the back of her mind that that's an out-of-the-way spot that she knew of, she thought maybe he wouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. So maybe she was perhaps subconsciously moving toward that area as a potential hideout place. Some place that she thought of as being safe. And of course, when we when we meet Cal, we get the big reveal that he's that he's Kara's father, and your dad called that actually, which is surprising. While we were watching, and it- although I've got to say, I think a lot of people who were keeping up with you know promos and stuff, I think we all kind of wondered if maybe he was. Fair enough. I I did not really see that coming until Kara asked about it, and I was like, oh yeah, he is. <laughs> <laughs> But and of course Kira knew because Kira knows everything. That <laughs> she's too smart. She is. She's too smart. Too smart for her own good. So what did you think of Cal? I I don't know that we've spent enough time with him to get a really good read on him. But from what we've seen of him, I like him. He seems like a decent human being, which you know is really all you can hope for. But the fact that he seems like a decent human being makes me immediately worried on this show. Now that you mention it. Yes. Damn it. Darn it. Damn it, Joe. (laughs) But yeah, I I agree. He seems like a good guy. Hopefully we can trust him. But it's Orphan Black. So. (laughs) Stephanie's face is. She's she's distressed, I think. (laughs) Or resigned or something. And I must say, I disagree with your father, who said that you're. That Paul. He thinks Paul is hunkier than. Than Cal. Well, my dad always has to weigh in on such things. Okay, okay, but I disagree. I I find Cal hunkier than Paul, but I'm into kind of hairy Midwestern guys. Little lumberjacky. Yeah, I don't I don't mind a little lumberjack. So, so clearly the the t- there was tension between Sarah and Cal when they when they showed up, but by the end of the episode there was sexy times. So so what do you make of of that? Did that seem like a logical progression for you? I was a little surprised. Well, but it's Sarah. Yeah, that's true. Because that seems to be sort of Sarah's move. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. I don't know. I I guess maybe I get the sense that I want to believe Sarah. She seems to have really liked him, even though she did steal from him. Right. Although apparently not as much as she could have. Exactly. So maybe in Sarah's world, that means she really liked him, because she didn't take all of his money, just a big chunk. (laughs) I think that's probably true, actually. Yeah. And even though... Cal was obviously very pissed at her. I, I, I don't know. Maybe there's this sense of he still really cared about her. Like he, even though she did this horrible thing to him, that there's still an attraction there for him for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Attraction doesn't always make sense, as we've seen many times on this show. Really. Time and time again, between clones and other people, very often monitors. Yes, and I, I thought the the scene with them playing cards was was quite sweet. Yes. Oh, family, family game time. Yes. Though I think the, the, when Kira won, I think Cal said something like, you little you, or something like that, when they were like, you know, being, oh, oh, Kira, you did a good job, or whatever, or darn it, it was more like a darn it, I lost sentiment. And I think he said, you little you, which was Hmm. kind of like delightfully awkward. (laughs) I missed it. I'll have to, I'll have to check it again. It was kind of like a guy who wasn't used to saying such things to kids, and he wasn't entirely sure what to say, so he said something kind of strange. Sounds about right. Yeah. 
maybe maybe he is a good match for Sarah. <laughs> Well-intentioned, little awkward. <laughs> and then we also got because of of Sarah bringing or well, Sarah or Kira and Cal meeting, we got that lovely scene between Sarah and Kira up in the in the bedroom. I love that scene so much. I thought that was a good scene. It really was. Because I, I think it's one of those moments where we really understand Sarah's mentality, assuming that she was telling the truth, which I, I, think, I think she, she was. was. <laughs> but again, this show, you kind of always wonder. <laughs> Damn it, Joe. But yeah, the the sincerity with which Sarah said all that to Kira and the fact that she did sort of break down a little bit as she was saying it, I I, I think that was... Yeah, that was a sincere moment. And it's interesting to me how, so far this season, I feel like the two scenes, big scenes we've had with Sarah and Kira, have been really kind of role reversal scenes, where I feel like classically in, in these situations, the the stuff that Sarah's saying, or sort of like the role that Sarah has in these scenes, are, are often generally where kids usually would be. And... And Kira's being more like the adult role in the situation. Like, I feel like this scene, we we don't get to see all that often parents really being that emotionally bare to their children. I actually kind of like that about their relationship, that Sarah's very willing to be, especially for somebody that we've seen be sort of closed off, which, again, is understandable given her upbringing. Sarah's really all about being honest with Kira. And I appreciate that. Because you're right. I mean, we don't really see that kind of thing that often, especially since Kira is so young. But of course, Kira being Kira, I think kind of, you know, allows for that kind of interaction between them. Right. Because what I'm talking about is like last episode, we had Sarah really be like, what should we do here? Right. And while she was less, they were more, I think, collaborative in that scene. Mm-hmm. It was a, it was kind of unusual to see a parent be that to a little seven year old kid be like, "What should we do here?" She really left it out up to to Kira, like, "We should leave, shouldn't we?" And and again, in in this episode, it just felt like something you don't you often see between a parent being that open and emotional with with their child that way. I'm not saying you never see it, but it's it's rare, right? So we get kind of a, a, a sweet kind of family reunion, but then of course Daniel Rosen has to come along and ruin everything. I really hate that guy. Damn you, Daniel Rosen! I really hate that guy. And we rewatched episode two before we watched this one, and I was wondering how he found Art and Sarah when they were at the hotel looking for Kira. He showed up there. It's like, how did he find them there? Or he wasn't looking for them, but you know, how did he know to, to show up at the hotel? And then this episode again, I'm left wondering how did he? How was he able to track them? Well, who knows what kind of access the shady side of Dyad has to, you know, NSA type surveillance type stuff mm-hmm. type. <laughs> no, but I uh, yeah. So I think we have a good sense now how how well connected Dyad is with, you know, the type of intel they seem to have on people. I mean, that's the word or the phrase that Art uses is he calls him well-connected. Remember the well-connected guy that shows up to spring Sarah Manning? I mean, that's what he says to Angie. So, yeah. And of course, you know, I I said last 
or I said at the the episode that we did for 110, like that guy doesn't seem like a lawyer to me. And here we see him the season. I think they said he was a PI in 202. And then this episode, he was calling himself a detective detective. Right. So yeah. Yeah. He's clear, clearly some kind of private security guy and just has access to all sorts of, of resources and information. And, you know, he just killed that poor cop in cold blood. <sighs> that poor cop. In case you hadn't figured out that Daniel Rosen is a really, really awful bad guy. Yeah, he has murdered a cop in cold blood. And he tried to take Kira, which is always a no-no. No, Yeah, that's a big no-no. Which is why I... Well, I shouldn't say this. No, I'm going to say it. I hope he's dead. I hope <laughs> I hope the truck that crashed into the car at the end of the episode, I, I hope that's the end of Daniel Rosen. Because I don't like him. I don't like him either. I'm not going to get my hopes up that he's dead. That's, because that's fair. this is the only way I will cope. So who do we think crashed into the car? I can't say for sure, obviously. But it seems like the most logical answer is Cal. Which is why I think I'm wrong, because it's so logical. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. You never know on this show. Because it was like an old pickup truck. Right. It kind of looked like the truck that they came in on. Yeah. But, but it seems like the police would have impounded that car, taken it to impound when they realized it was stolen. So it seems unlikely it would have been the same truck. But Cal seems like a bit, like the best possibility but maybe the Prolethians? I was going to say, maybe it's the Prolethian farmers. Yeah. Because that's what I'm calling them. I know we don't have to call them that, because they seem to be the only Prolethians that we have this season, but I'm going to keep calling them that. I think that's fair. So let us know, listeners, who do you think was in the truck? Is Sarah, is that like, a, was that a rescue slamming into the car, or is something nefarious, else nefarious, going to happen to poor Sarah? Ugh. <sighs> This show is so stressful. So Felix in this episode, poor Felix. Oh, Felix. We had, you know. Poor camping Felix. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, Felix really had an emotional roller coaster this episode because he starts out kind of, you know, comedic relief, step, stepping into cow poo, and then has that super sad scene with Sarah. Oh, it's so hard that, what was his line that? He doesn't have a place there. Mm -hmm. Oh, my heart broke. Mm -hmm. I wanted to give him a hug. Yeah. And it was a tough scene to watch because I think I think Felix totally had good reason to be pissed at Sarah. She clearly had been lying about Cal for years. And I can see why Felix would take that so personally. They're supposed to be just everything to each other and not, and not lie like that. But... Well, and he said that, you know, you let me narrow it down to, and then he named a couple of guys, or descriptions of guys, so, yeah, I mean, I could see. It's it's totally valid. Felix's point is totally valid. He has good cause to be upset with Sarah, and he has, I think, even good reason to feel like he doesn't belong there. But what I did like about that, though, was that he sort of recognized that Allison still needed him. So at least there's that. Yeah. But it, because when what Sarah comes back to him with about the idea that she really wanted to give Kira something that Kira needed and she felt, you know, that Kira deserved, I, I can see where Sarah's coming from. 
but you know doesn't make up for the fact that she lied to him and and clearly hurt him very deeply by doing so mhm and i think that hurt and this is just me sort of speculating i guess really but to me part of that too is that in felix's mind at least perhaps that sarah and felix and kira sort of all had that in common that they didn't have anybody but each other. And so now here's this other person that Sarah and Kira have, but Felix isn't part of this relationship at all. So Sarah, of course, having found all this other family that she didn't even know that she had, that, you know, Sarah has found her birth mother, and here's Kira's father, and Felix still probably doesn't have any knowledge of his parents. So I think Felix is maybe also feeling left out that way to add insult to injury. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's just so sad because I was thinking, oh, you know, I don't really want them. I didn't want them really to leave town at the end of the last episode, but I was thinking, oh, we'll get good Sarah Felix time. And we got some of that, but then we also got this sad scene with Felix just feeling out of place in Sarah's life. And it made me so sad. So basically, this entire episode, you're just shouting at the TV, this is the opposite of what I wanted. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. Though I did really enjoy Felix getting protective of Sarah when he was kind of quizzing Cal about, who are you? I, I always love it when Felix's protective side comes out. Yes. But now it's it's aimed at Allison, so at least it's still there. Yeah. So speaking of Allison, poor, poor Allison. Everybody in this episode is like, poor, poor, insert name here. <laughs> so we have the passive aggressive vacuuming scene <laughs> which was was pretty great and then Donnie trying to be all sexy <laughs> and failing and failing miserably. It has never worked for Donnie that we've seen. No, it really has not. Remember the grope in the first season? I do. I do with the hand slap, yeah. <laughs> and and so we see in that scene Allison clearly not dealing with the whole Donnie as monitor thing very well. And so it totally made sense to me that when Angie tried to approach her later in the episode that she would think Angie was another monitor. Right. Uh, and it's one of those things, because, of course, Stephanie didn't watch promos, so Stephanie really didn't know what was going on there. But they showed that in the promo, that Angie was going to approach Allison, and I don't know why I didn't immediately assume that that's what Allison would think. Of course, I didn't know how it was going to play out, too, because Angie was not great at undercover. <laughs> I don't know. I thought she did a decent suburbanite. She was okay, but, I mean, Allison was pretty clearly skeptical the entire time, and, and then Angie's like, want to go get coffee? No. <laughs> she, Allison shut her down cold in regards to a hot beverage. I'm... <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, Angie came on a little too strong. She did. She did. She didn't read the situation as well as she could have. No. No. Allison's somebody you have to approach in a certain way. <laughs> yes. So the play, it, you know, the play, we, we get to opening night of the play, it, which makes me sad. I'm like, oh, really? Is this going to be it for the play? Is this all we're going to see of the play? And we should, oh, we should mention here because a couple of people have sent us messages over the past week that the play is a real play. It's not a play that was written for the show. This, this is a play that's being staged in Toronto called Blood Ties. And 
Graham Manson and John Fawcett mentioned it in an interview with Entertainment Weekly, and we hadn't we hadn't seen that interview until recently, but a, a listener sent the link to us. And apparently they had originally wanted Grease for the, the musical that, that Allison was doing. Right. But this is so much better. It is. It was Kismet. Yes. And oh, this might I might be wrong, but I was looking at Blood Ties website. You can go see it in Toronto. Another reason to move to Toronto. And one of the people directing it it's was listed as Julian Richings, who might not be the same person, but Julian Richings is the actor is the name of the actor who played Benjamin in last week's episode. So I don't know if it's the same Julian Richings, but that's not exactly the most common name, but I thought that was interesting. Hmm. Well, apparently, they said in that Entertainment Weekly interview, the piano player and the blonde woman in the play are the creators of Blood Dies. Okay, I missed that part. Cool. I feel I feel so bad for Allison. I wanted her opening night to go well, but she's just so stressed out by other stuff that she turns to the drugs and the booze and falls off of the stage. Yes, Allison went off the stage like her sobriety has fallen off. That <laughs> that simile did not go well. It, it, I think it landed, but like they, Allison. <laughs> but they never went back to the play. What I mean is, she okay? I, I guess so. But I'm very concerned about Allison's well being. That storyline did end abruptly in this episode. I, I remember we got to the end of the episode, and you know the credits came on, and. I had a moment where I didn't realize what was going on. Like, I got so confused when the episode ended. It's like, no, there's more stuff. Isn't there more stuff? There should be more stuff. <laughs> what? That, it's over. Yeah. No! <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because we, we, I don't know, we just, that, that storyline ended really abruptly. And again, concern for Allison with the whole drug use and the alcoholism on top of the potentially injured herself falling off of the stage. And there's the humiliation in front of her peers. She was already feeling alienated from her neighbors. I was going to say, the the peers were already not looking kindly upon Allison. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, this is... This is adding injury to insult. But at least Felix was there. I I was... I did. But I, I was glad Felix was there. That made me happy that Felix came to her play. Right. At least somebody will take care of her, other than Sarah Stubbs. Yes, so talking a little bit a little bit more about about Angie, there's this theory apparently floating out there that Beth had a secondary monitor at the police station. We did get an email about that, yes. Yeah. And and the person who emailed us, Brian, said that his theory was that Angie was Beth's secondary monitor and that you know, from the promo he'd seen with Angie now approaching Allison, like, hey, maybe this is proof that she's a monitor. But I really don't think she is. I don't think so either. And I think the fact that they basically directly acknowledge that with Allison assuming she is, I think that cancels out the theory that she is, right? I kind of think so. And the big thing to me that makes me makes me believe Angie is not a monitor is in the first season where they were discovering all these women who looked similar, she was really the one pushing Art to bring it to their superior and, and to sort of bring up the fact that, hey, look, there's all these, look at this weirdness, all these women who look alike. And that's not in Dyad's interest to draw attention to the fact that there are all these women who look the same. So I feel like if she were a monitor, she would have tried to quash that discovery rather than encourage it. Right. I mean, the only vibe I really get from Angie is that she is, like, 
again, super into the cop stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, she she wants to solve all this stuff. I mean, the only the only indication of anything I've ever gotten from Angie is Angie just wants to solve the crimes. Yeah. And it's interesting because Angie's kind of an antagonist to our clones because of this fact, but really... Angie's of the Angie's trying to do her job. She's trying to be a professional. And even though right now she's kind of working off the books, what's really driving her and motivating her is solving a crime. Right. I mean, she said as much that she wants I mean, it seems like she genuinely wants to get some sort of justice for Beth. Right? I mean, I I get that sense too. I don't think that that's just her it might be her trying to manipulate art a little bit, but I, I do get the sense that that is her primary motivation. Right. I mean, I really got that impression, too, that I think she was using it to prod art into action, but I don't think she didn't mean it. Yeah. And we see in that scene with Art that he's really trying to discourage Angie from pursuing it, but clearly Angie's not going, not going to listen. <laughs> right. And as I said last week, I mean... You know, they could say the same things to Art. And because mm-hmm. Art's doing all this stuff too. Yes, he's so. working the case, even though he shouldn't be as well. And then we also see Art in this episode finding the Prolethean compound and I taking I got really photos. worried when they showed him there. I was worried something bad was going to happen to him. And maybe something will, but nothing did this episode, so <sighs> that's one character. <laughs> We're just tense and worried about yeah. everyone. Oh, and I, in regards to art, I should have said this last week as well. I, I'm glad that we're getting to see Art's apartment. Yes. It was really nice to see where he lives and see, like, the pictures of his kids on the wall. I, it's, I think it's helping rounding him out more, making him a more fleshed-out character this, this season. And the pictures that his kids drew. Yes. Which I thought was a nice touch, yeah. that they had that on the wall or the fridge or somewhere. I remember seeing it there. So moving over to Kasima's storyline, my biggest impression, <laughs> as as Chris can tell, because it was the first thing I, the first bullet point I wrote in our notes, and it's in all caps. What was Delphine wearing at the beginning? That was also the first thing she said, by the way. Shallow. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Delphine usually wears really good outfits, but instead she was wearing something that she looked like she stole from my Aunt Edna's closet. (laughs) You know, I think she's being all, you know, professional and fancy, because we haven't really seen professional Delphine thus far. Well, I mean, she's been to the dyad, though, the past couple of episodes. I know. And she was still wearing a fantastic sexy tank top last week. Stephanie's getting very worked up about this. <laughs> I mean, her clothes got better. She only had that awful outfit in one scene, and then she had, like, a black tank top sleeveless thing going on. She got better. but <laughs> <laughs> And her shirt was buttoned all the way up to the top. Apparently somebody tweeted uh, saying, what's Stephanie going to think? This Delphine shirt's all buffed up, buttoned up. And I gotta say, that makes me worried. <laughs> I'm wondering now if I can really trust Delphine, and I'm worried about that already. <laughs> but she had the little brooch at the top. Yes, so that- It wasn't like it was just buttoned up all the way. That is a good point. So she did- That makes it somewhat acceptable. Because you have to accessorize if you're going to button all the way up. That is my point. Thank you. That was actually sort of me teasing you a little bit. But, <laughs> but okay. <laughs> this is my rule, though. If you're going to button all the way up, you got to wear a tie, even a freaking bolo tie- 
<laughs> you have to have some reason to not have the top button open. It can't just be... It just looks silly to me. It looks like an incomplete outfit and like your parents dressed you. <laughs> Stephanie's fashion rules. <laughs> it's a separate podcast. It's coming in the summer. So Stephanie is not wearing a button-up shirt right now. I'm not. I'm not. So the the scene, the first scene with Cosima and Delphine starts out all fun and games with Tatiana Maslany's fantastic impression of Dr. Leakey. <laughs> Tatiana Maslany as Cosima doing an impression of Dr. Leakey. Yes, it was it was pretty it was good. It was I'm not surprised it was that good, but it was really good. <laughs> it was pretty good. <laughs> and it reminded me there's a there's an interview with with Evelyn Brochu where she's giving a tour of the set to the, her interviewer and saying, oh, you're sitting at Dr. Leakey's desk. You have to do the voice. And she doesn't do a very good, <laughs> very good Dr. Leakey impression. And she always only says, so Delphine. <laughs> oh, Evelyn. It's charming, but not nearly as accurate as Tatiana Maslany's. But that was fantastic. And then it just gets all sad and, and stuff because of the videos of, of Jennifer. So sad. And of course, that was another thing. They promoted the appearance of the new clone, Jennifer Fitzsimmons. And in the debut promo video that they had for Jennifer Fitzsimmons, they had two different video clips of that we saw in this episode. And one was sort of the early one with, you know, oh, Dyad's gonna help me with my treatment or whatever. And then they cut from that to the one later where she has no hair. And so everybody, of course, got really worried on the internet. I kind of assumed she was going to be the clone that we saw on the table. Because they had that in the promos also. Did you expect she would already be dead before we met her? That's kind of surprised me. I kind of thought it might happen okay. that way, yeah. Yeah, so it, they got to introduce another clone... But they they got to compartmentalize her, which was probably easier for Tatiana Maslany, at least. And, you know, she didn't have to do any double clone scenes as that clone or anything like that. Right. Because Jennifer, I thought, was a little less distinct than the other clones we've met. She was kind of somewhere between, like, Cosima and Sarah. Well, the thing is, and this has been discussed on the internet, too, Jennifer Fitzsimmons sort of most closely resembles Tatiana Maslany. It's true. And so it was like, those jerks. <laughs> they killed the actress. <laughs> well, the one most like the actress. Yeah, yeah. Who, of course, is beloved. But, so we have the, you know, the parade of sad videos, followed by an, an autopsy of a woman who, who looks like Cosima. And it was like the worst science girlfriend's date ever, it felt like. It really was. Ugh. Like a sad movie, followed by sad dissection. <laughs> and we really see this week, it, you know, they were super cute last week, Cosima and Delphine, but this week, it, you know, the uh, we see Allison sort of like plant some seeds of doubt, it, feel, it felt like, in Cosima's mind, maybe in regards to Delphine. And we see Cosima lie to Delphine about the clone phones. We do. I'd sort of wondered what was going to happen because there had been mentions of deception on both parts. And of course, we know what Delphine was hiding because we saw it in the first episode that she handed over 
Kasima's blood to Leaky. But I'd always kind of wondered what it is that Kasima is going to be hiding from Delphine. So, so yeah, it's sort of interesting that it turns out that it's the ongoing communication, which I guess kind of makes sense because you don't want to necessarily let the creepy organization know that you're still in contact with your fellow clones. Mm-hmm. One of whom is on the run. So yes, because, because the fact that she says, Oh, it's my mom, uh, but she's clearly answering the clone phone. I don't think Delphine knows that they have special phones that they communicate with each other on. So not only did she lie about the fact that Allison was calling her, but just the fact that, you know, they have dedicated devices that they use to contact each other. Again, way to be subtle with the neon green cases, <laughs> but but that's beside the point. Because why would she think that a bunch of scientists who theoretically would be pretty observant, why would they not notice that she has two different phones? Yeah. And then I gotta admit, I was kind of upset with Kasima when, when Delphine was talking to her after some of the viewing of the super sad videos and was saying, you know, we're being really honest with you now, and if you can't handle it. And then Kasima says something like, I can handle it, don't be a bitch. I was like, don't talk to your girlfriend that way. Yeah, me too. But at the same time, I kind of wasn't necessarily surprised that Kasima did that, because we've seen Kasima be kind of that way. Now, I'm not excusing it, mind you, because, you know, you and I both strongly dislike it when people start calling other people borches. It's true. But per Gail Simone, borch instead of the other one. And Because we don't like that word, so we're not going to yeah. say it if we don't have to. Exactly. Just quoting. And, yeah, like, I get it. Kasima's going through something really upsetting this episode, clearly. So, you know, she was on edge and a bit feisty. So I understand why she did it. Does not excuse her talking to her girlfriend that way. When her girlfriend, I think, clearly was trying to be sensitive to the fact that this was really hard to do to do this. And trying to check in and say, is this okay? Do you, Are you sure you want us to be this open with our material? Yeah. I, I cringed when Kasima said it. Again, not necessarily surprised, because we've seen her be that way, especially with Sarah, I yeah. think. But yeah, sort of not okay to talk that way to your girlfriend. But mm-hmm. so I was I was worried, but Delphine just kind of brushes it off. So yeah, a- at least there's not extra added tension, because I think Delphine probably knows too. So but then they also brought in brought up the, the fact that Delphine is technically Kasima's monitor again. I thought that was an interesting exchange. Mhm. Where Kasima's all, "Oh, her boyfriend was was her monitor. I forget that you're mo- that you're mine." And Delphine says, "Good," which I th- I think we're supposed to interpret that Delphine doesn't want her to think of her as her monitor because she loves her and want, you know, is just wants to be her girlfriend, not her girlfriend's lash monitor. But I don't know. What do you think about Delphine's response to that? I don't know. I was a little perplexed by it, quite honestly, because I don't know. I think it's one of those things that I think that statement in and of itself can also be cause for concern, just because the people who are already suspicious of Delphine probably are more suspicious of her now. If they already think that Delphine is shady... (laughs) that's going to come off extra shady. Do you mean they audience members? Yes. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Okay, yes. That's that's kind of what I was getting at. Like, my interpretation was more, she doesn't want her to think of as a monitor because she loves her, but people who don't trust Delphine, I think, will probably have a different interpretation of that good. Right. 
Which again is actually, you know, another sign of solid writing. Yeah. Because <laughs> they're playing it very much that you don't necessarily know. I think there are certain things that indicate that Delphine is on Cosima's side ultimately. I mean, yes, there are there are things that are shadier than others, let's say. Mm-hmm. But I do think that ultimately Delphine is acting in what she thinks is the best interest for Cosima. And also we don't know what Dyad has over Delphine if they have anything over her because Dyad is super shady. So this episode ends, and again, I'm super worried about everybody. I mean, last week at least, I wasn't immediately concerned with Cosima, but now I am more concerned because the coughing... The coughing fit during the autopsy of the woman who looks like Cosima, who has died from what Cosima has. Stressful. This episode is very stressful. Yes. And, you know, she's starting to maybe doubt Delphine a little, so that compromises the science help and the snuggles. Damn it. <laughs> so <laughs> We needed those. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just worried about about all of them. All of them. Particularly Helena. My thoughts are most with Helena this week, but I'm worried about all of our all of our like main clones. Yes. It's funny now how how Helena this season is very clearly in sort of a protagonist mm-hmm. situation rather than an antagonist the way that she was last season. Toward the end she was kind of both. Right. I felt like but this season she's very solidly in the protagonist category so far. Well, what they've done by shooting her at the end of last season, she's fairly helpless from what we've seen so far. So basically, we're back to this theme of the clones getting thoroughly taken advantage of. Because Helena has no power in the position she's in right now. And super upsetting things are happening to her. So yeah, I mean, we thought Tomas was bad last season, but... I actually had a really weird conversation with my cousin the other day, and she was all, you know, well, at least Helena's in a slightly better situation than she was. And I'm like, no, did you not catch the part where Henrik is, like, going to impregnate her? And then my cousin's like, oh, yeah. (laughs) This is not okay. She's like, oh, yeah, I guess it's not. Yeah. (laughs) It's not better. I'm like, no, it's not. (laughs) Chris is very upset. I'm really, really upset. I hope Talena just does horrible, horrible things to him. So I gotta say, you know, we're three episodes in, which weirdly we're like a third of the way through the season now almost. How the hell did that happen? I know, I know. It's weird when you only have ten episodes. And I gotta say, like, I like, I've been liking the, the season so far, but it's been feeling really kind of disjointed because the clones are so separate from each other. And I really would like to see them move back closer together so that their storylines can overlap more. I really felt like that this episode. It felt like some of the storylines didn't get enough time to really play out the way that they should have because they they couldn't overlap any of them because they're, you know, Kasim is at Dyad and Sarah's on the run and Allison's in her play and Helena's with the farming Prolethians and yeah. I have a feeling there's going to be more overlap soon. I hope so. <laughs> I know that makes for more complicated shooting when they have to have two clones in the scenes and things like that, but I, I do really hope that we get more overlapping storylines soon. 
I, I think it's inevitable that Sarah is going to get drawn back into the main antagonist storylines. I mean, she, she sort of already is at the end of this episode, but I think it's a matter of time before she's either in Dyad or the Prolethean Farmers, right? I mean, they're both after Sarah or Kira or Sarah and Kira. So logically, she has to be more in one of those storylines soon. Well, here's hoping. But then we'll worry about Sarah. I know. I know. More than we already are. So several people sent us some feedback about episode two, governed by sound reason and true religion. I remembered it. Yay! Thank you to everybody who sent us emails. We just wanted to mention a few things people sent in. From Christy, she sent in an email, and it said, a section of it said, There's a theory floating around in the message boards that there may be clone Felixes based on the line from last episode, Why did you bring these cursed children into our lives? It's um, Brenda who says that. Because it seems strange that Mrs. Est adopted two children if her goal was to protect one of them. And I did think that when she said that. Did you ha also have that thought that maybe Felix might be involved as well? It might have crossed my mind, but I think I mostly just sort of decided that she was probably talking about Sarah and then Kira. But, I mean, I'm not ruling anything out on the show. Yeah, that was my thought, thought process, too, is that she probably meant Sarah and Kira. But you know, maybe Felix is involved somehow. I, I don't know that they would necessarily bring on another clone line into the show just for logistics that get super complicated pretty mm -hmm. fast. Yeah. But maybe Felix was involved in Project Lita in some way, but he's not a clone. Maybe there was some other, he was the result of some other scientific experimentation going on. And now I'm distressed again. <laughs> or more. I don't know that I want that to happen, but I mean, it is possible, I guess, that, that Felix was also involved in Project Lena. Who can tell? So from Brian, he sent in an email, and part of it read, Did you happen to notice near the end where Sarah, Felix, and Kira driving away in that old truck, the license plate read GOAD 539? I didn't notice it last episode, but I noticed it this episode, as she very clearly changed the license, or took the license plate off the car. Although, looking at it this time, was it an O or was it a Q? Oh, Hmm. I don't know. We'll have to we'll have to rewatch. But if it did say G O A D 539, Brian says, looking up goad in Wikipedia, it reads, the goad is a traditional farming implement used to spur or guide livestock, usually oxen, which are pulling a plow or cart, used also to round up cattle. That last phrase has sinister implications. Makes me wonder if the Prolethians had Mrs. S's cohorts put a tracker on the vehicle that conveniently had the keys in the ignition, and the fact that it mentions farming in the definition made me think of the Prolethians as well. And I had noticed it last episode, and so I was thinking about it too. And of course, I mean, I didn't know that there was a noun version of goad. Yeah, I only knew the verb. Right, me too. So I looked it up, and it is, it's like a sharp stick, essentially, apparently. So, yeah, that is kind of, it's upsetting if that's <laughs> the the implication, if that is some sort of clue or something, because you never know on the show. Mm -hmm. It could be. I don't know. Yeah, it could mean something or it could, could not. So. Right. And, but if it was, maybe, maybe that's further, not evidence, but maybe suggestion that the truck that runs into the car at the end of the episode could have been the Prolethians if maybe they were using the first truck, the truck that Sarah stole to track Sarah. <sighs> so complicated. We have to do so much thinking when we're watching this <laughs> show. Ugh. 
Why can't you be like, I don't know, Glee or something? Come on. Don't wish don't, for that. Don't be Glee. I'm sorry. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> Offended, Stephanie. <laughs> And then we got a an email from Colby, and she mentioned that she's actually trying to compile filming locations in Toronto using Google Maps, and she's made a list over on the Orphan Black Wiki page. So we'll we'll put a link to that in case you're you're interested. It was it was an interesting list. She's uh, she's just like looking on Google Maps, the Street View, to find these locations. She's not from Toronto or anything like that. So impressive. Uh, that's that's impressive, Colby. Oh, fandom! I'm so impressed with you. So let us know what you thought of mingling its own nature with it. Ugh, creepy title. We would love to hear your thoughts. You can send those to us in a variety of ways. You can go and leave a comment on the show notes for this episode over at TatianaIsEveryone.com slash 31. You can also send us an email to feedback at TatianaIsEveryone.com. Or you can send us a voicemail by clicking on the Send Voice Message tab that's on the right-hand side of the website. You can also follow us on Twitter at TIE Podcast. This week, Delphine's Brooch and my Aunt Edna were both played by Tatiana Maslani. Thanks for listening. 